بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وخاتم النبيين محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد النبي المي وعلى آله وسلم تسليما الله سبحانه وتعالى has commanded the whole of his creation to acknowledge him. And that acknowledgement manifests itself in appreciation and gratitude. Failure to be grateful to Allah is also a failure to acknowledge him. This is why Allah has contrasted shukr, his acknowledgement, with kufr, failure to acknowledge Allah. And Allah begins this command with the Anbiya All of the Prophets of Allah were most sincerely and profoundly grateful to Allah at all times. Allah has given examples of the Prophets in the Holy Qur'an, their gratitude, their acknowledgement and appreciation of Allah's gifts, favors, bounties and blessings. About Nuh السلام, Allah says, إِنَّهُ كَانَ عَبْدًا شَكُورًا that indeed he, meaning the Prophet Nuh was an abundantly grateful servant of Allah. Allah mentions the story of the Prophet Sulaiman Allah mentions the Prophet Dawood and Allah's instruction to him to be grateful for the countless bounties of Allah that he bestowed upon him and his son. When Sulaiman witnessed the power that Allah had given him, and he was reminded of it in the story of the Queen of Saba, the Queen of Sheba, when one of his mighty jinn miraculously brought the throne, her throne, in his presence before her arrival. It's a story described in the Quran. Allah says when he saw it, meaning the throne, before him. Suleiman rather than being rather than being 
affected by any other sentiment when he witnessed this power that Allah had given him. Sulaiman was overcome with humility and the remembrance of Allah. And this is the thing, dhikr of Allah. Dhikr is part of shukr. Shukr, gratitude, is very deeply related to dhikr and praise, the praise of Allah. When a person is grateful to the Creator, one remembers him, praises him, mentions him. When a person is grateful to anyone in the creation, that also involves an element of praise, good mention, remembrance. So Sulaiman immediately remembered Allah and exclaimed, Indeed, this is from the bounty of my Lord, so that he may test me, am I grateful or am I ingrateful? And whoever is grateful, he is grateful for the good of his own soul. And whoever is ungrateful, then indeed my Lord is independent, noble, generous. So this is just one other example of a prophet of Allah, who, when reminded of the bounties and blessings of Allah that Allah had showered upon them, he immediately turned to Allah in remembrance, in humility. For all of the Prophets of Allah were grateful. Musa was instructed by Allah to tell his people to be grateful to Allah. And of Ibrahim Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna Ibrahim kana ummatan qanitan lillahi hanifa Allah says of the Prophet Ibrahim السلام, who was the ancestor of the Prophet and his spiritual ancestor and father too. Of him, Allah says, indeed Ibrahim was a nation, meaning unto himself, devout to Allah, upright, and he was not of the idolaters. Grateful for the blessings of Allah. Allah had chosen him and guided him to the straight path. And we gave him good in the world. And indeed, he is of the pious ones in the akhirah, in the afterlife. Then Allah, addressing the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, says to him, Then we reveal to you that you should follow the religion of Ibrahim. And he was not of the idolaters. In this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has clearly commanded the Prophet to follow in the footsteps of his noble father, ancestor Ibrahim And of Ibrahim Allah mentions that he was upright, 
monotheist, not one of the idolaters. And he was extremely grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for Allah's blessings. So part of the sunnah of Ibrahim alayhi salam that the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam followed and adopted was as part of Tawheed, as part of his monotheism, to be grateful and appreciative of the blessings of Allah and to acknowledge them. And then in another verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him clearly and categorically, قُلْ أَفْغَيْرَ اللَّهِ تَأْمُرُونِّي أَعْبُدُ أَيُّهَا الْجَاهِلُونَ وَلَقَدْ أُوحِيَ إِلَيْكَ وَإِلَى الَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ لَإِنْ أَشْرَكْتَ لَيَحْبَطَنَّ عَمَلُكَ وَلَتَكُونَنَّ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ بَلِ اللَّهَ فَاعْبُدْ وَكُمْ مِنَ الشَّاكِرِينَ Allah says specifically to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to the noble messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that say to them what is it anyone besides Allah that you are commanding me to worship O oh, ignorant ones, when indeed it's been revealed to me. And to those who came before, it has been revealed to me. Sorry, Allah says, it has been revealed to you and to those who came before you that if you commit idolatry, if you ascribe partners unto Allah, what will happen? Your deeds shall perish and you will surely be of the losers. Rather, worship Allah alone and be of the grateful ones. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has connected the ibadah, the worship of Allah, service to Allah, the tawheed, the belief in the oneness of Allah. Allah has connected all of this with his shukr, with his acknowledgement and with his gratitude. And that's why he says here, But rather Allah alone worship, and be of the grateful ones. And truly the Prophet ﷺ acted on this command of Allah to be acknowledging, appreciative and grateful to him. The Prophet ﷺ was forever grateful to Allah. His gratitude to Allah, the Creator, knew no bounds. Abu Bakr relates, that Imam Abu Dawood and others relate this hadith. Abu Bakr says, Whenever the Prophet received any news that pleased him, or he was given glad tidings of something, then what would he do? He would fall into sajdah before Allah. He would fall into prostration before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet expressed his gratitude through his extensive worship, his salawat, his prayers, 
his supplications, his dua. Once, he took the hand of Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu anh. Many authors relate this hadith. He took the hands of Mu'adh, he took the hand of Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu anh. And Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal rahmatullahi relate, also relates this hadith in his musnad. His wording is that Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu anh says, one day after Salah, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam took my hand and he said to me, O oh, Mu'adh, indeed I love you. Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu anh replied to him, Take in the name of Allah, that indeed I dearly love you too. Then in his love and out of his love, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu anh the following dua and advised him to persistently make this dua to Allah. And it was his own dua. And what was that dua? Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrik wa shukrik wa husn ibadatik. Oh Allah, assist me. In your remembrance, meaning assist me to remember you. Assist me in your remembrance and in your beautiful worship. Sorry, in your remembrance wa shukrik and your gratitude wa husn ibadatik and your beautiful worship. So this was the dua of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam which he taught Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu anhu in such a beautiful manner that, O oh Allah, assist me in your remembrance, in your gratitude, and in your beautiful worship. And all three are connected. Dhikr is part of shukr. The remembrance of Allah, his praise and acknowledgement are part of gratitude, are part of shukr. The beautiful ibadah of Allah is part of shukr and gratitude, just as Allah says, Rather, only unto Allah be grateful. Only Allah should you worship. And be grateful. So the gratitude of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala includes his oneness, his tawheed, his recognition, his acknowledgement, his appreciation, his, his soul worship, his remembrance, his praise. Dhikr and beautiful ibadah are part of shukr. And this is exactly what the Prophet sallallahu own dua was and that he taught to Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu that, O oh, Mu'adh, I love you. After, always remember, make this dua. Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrik wa shukrik wa husn ibadatik. Oh Allah, assist me in your remembrance and in your gratitude and your beautiful worship. And that was his own practice. Always being grateful to Allah through his ibadah and through his dhikr. Expressing his shukr through dhikr and through his beautiful worship. So much so that Imam Bukhari, Imam Muslim and others relate from Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha and al-Mughira, al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah radiyallahu anhu that these are the words of Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha. She said, 
Prophet would rise for salah at night. And he would stand for so long in salah that his feet would swell and they would actually crack. Imagine, standing for so long in salah that his noble feet would swell and cracks would appear in his skin. So Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha said to him, O Messenger of Allah, why do you do this? When indeed Allah has forgiven your sins past and future, just as Allah says in the Quran, So that Allah may forgive you the, all that which has passed and all that which has delayed. So Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha referenced the same thing to him and said, O Messenger of Allah, when Allah has forgiven you all that has passed and all that has been delayed, then why do you do this? So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to her, Afala akunu abdin shakura. Should I not be a grateful servant to Allah? Should I not then be a grateful servant to Allah? This was his expression of gratitude, of shukr, in his ibadah, in his dhikr. His dhikr, he would remember Allah at all times. Again, Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha relates in a hadith recorded by my Muslim and others. كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَذْكُرُ اللَّهَ عَلَى كُلِّ أَحْيَانِهِ the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would remember Allah at all his hours, at all his moments, at all his times. Ahyan is actually a plural of heen. So normally you would say he would remember Allah all the time. But Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha uses a plural. Ala kulli ahyanih. He would remember Allah at all his times, in all his moments. Truly, he would remember Allah all the time. And that's what he taught the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. His own family members. Over everything, a sip of water, a drink, not only would he be grateful to Allah himself, but this is exactly what he taught the Sahaba radiallahu anhum and us, his ummah. Look at almost every single dua. Dua for food, dua for looking in the mirror, dua for wearing clothes, dua for this, for that. All of these duas invariably begin with the words, Alhamdulillah, all praise be to Allah. In fact, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum learned so much shukr of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam that I'll just give you one example of not dua and other things, but something which should make us think. It's related that his son-in-law, Sayyidina Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu whenever he would go to answer the call of nature, and pass stool, and then he would emerge 
from the place where he would answer the call of nature or the equivalent of the bathroom, he would come out praising Allah with his hand on his stomach. So this was symbolic. He would actually place his hand on his stomach and not only praise Allah, but also mention to those who were present that this, the ability to go to answer the call of nature and relieve oneself, was a gift and a blessing of Allah, if only we could recognize it. So the Prophet ﷺ was grateful. He taught gratitude. And he expressed his gratitude through the dhikr of Allah and through the beautiful ibadah of Allah, so much so, that his feet would swell or crack even. And when he was mentioned to him that when Allah has forgiven all of your sins, why do you do this, O Messenger of Allah? His reply was, Afala akunu abdin shakura, should I not be, should I then not be a grateful servant to Allah? Whenever he would receive, as Abu Bakr anhu relates, whenever he would receive news, what would he do? Good news. He would fall into prostration. And for so long that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum would fear for his life. They would. He, would, he wouldn't, his sajdat al-shukra, his prostration of gratitude, wasn't just for a few moments. There are a number of narrations in which the Sahaba radiallahu anhum mention that he fell into sajdah for so long that we feared that his soul had passed. Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal rahmatullahi relates from Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiyallahu anhu. And I mentioned this hadith when discussing salutations and greetings upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiyallahu anhu says, I was with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he went towards the land that he had as part, towards the land which he had of Sadaqah. So I followed him. And then, I missed him. So then when I came upon him, I found him prostrating. So, I waited. And the Prophet ﷺ never rose from his sujood, from his prostration. I waited even longer. He never rose from his sujood, from his prostration. So then fearing that the Prophet soul had departed, I actually came closer to him to check. Then the Prophet raised his noble head and said, who is it? So Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiyallahu anh said, O Messenger of Allah, it is me, Abdurrahman. Uh, and then he explained, he clarified why he had come so close. He said, because O Messenger of Allah, you fell into prostration. And you were so long in your sujood. And you weren't raising your noble head that I feared for you. So then the Prophet sallallahu explained what had happened. And he said, Jibreel came to me. And he said to me, 
gave me the glad tidings. Prophet clarified to Abdurrahman ibn Awf that Jibreel came to me and he gave me glad tidings. Of what? That Allah said to me that whoever, i.e. of your ummah, sends salutations and prayers upon you, I send my salawat and my prayers to him, my salutations and my benedictions to him. And whoever sends you his salutations and greetings, I send my salutations and greetings to him. So the Prophet said, when I received this glad tidings from Jibreel, I fell into prostration. And subhanAllah, Look at this. The glad tidings were more for the ummah of Rasulullah than him. But the glad tiding was, O Messenger, whoever sends salawat upon you, I will send my salawat upon him. So that's a bishara, a glad tiding, and a great fortune for the one who sends salutations and prayers upon Rasulullah sallallahu And the second part, that O Messenger, whoever sends his salam, his greetings to you, I, Allah, will send my greetings to him. So again, this glad tiding, this great reward and fortune is more for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam than him. But out of pleasure for his ummah, and on behalf of his ummah, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam fell into sujood in gratitude for so long that his only companion who was behind him on that occasion, Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiyallahu he says, I feared that his soul had passed. So these were the prostrations of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam only in gratitude. For long, with great devotion. On one occasion, Prophet ﷺ was eagerly awaiting news of the outcome of a confrontation between a group that he had dispatched of Muslims and the enemy. When the messenger arrived, and he gave him the good news. The first thing the Prophet ﷺ did, he was with Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha. The first thing he did was that he rose and he fell into prostration in gratitude to Allah. And then only when he had completed his long prostration did he turn to the messenger and then seek clarification from him that now give me the details. Despite anxiously and eagerly awaiting for this news for so long, the remembrance of Allah, prostration to Allah in gratitude, acknowledgement of Allah and his grace and bounty, this took precedence. He would always do this, as Abu Bakr said, whenever he would receive good news. Or whenever he was given glad tidings, he will fall, he would fall into prostration. 
This was his gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all times, forever remembering Allah, forever prostrating to Allah, forever worshipping Allah. And not just fard, not just the obligatory worship, but ibadah at night, voluntarily. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's noble habits were beautiful. He would sleep immediately after Isha. He would not engage in talk. He disliked summer. Summer is an Arabic word which means conversation at night. He disliked it. He disapproved it. He discouraged it. The only t- there were times when he would remain awake, but he would only remain awake conversing with the Sahaba radiyallahu anhum if it was absolutely necessary for the affairs of the ummah. So there are there is mention of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam conversing with Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and Umar ibn al-Khattab <coughs> radiyallahu anhuma late into the night. But as, as is mentioned, this was only about the affairs of the ummah because these were pressing matters that could not be delayed. Otherwise, his noble habits, his natural life was in keeping with the times of the day, was in keeping with nature. Prophet would go to sleep immediately after Isha. He wouldn't even converse with his household unless it was absolutely necessary. He would retire. And why would he do this? So that he could fall asleep. And then he would wake up in the middle of the night. When everyone was asleep, he would rise. And he would rise not to converse with others, but rather to converse with Allah. And this is when he would stand until his feet swelled, until they cracked. And he was all in gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he would be with Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha, she herself describes in a hadith of Bukhari that. She would be sleeping. The Prophet would rise to pray salah. And when he would be standing, Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha. When he would change postures from standing to prostration, from prostration to standing, Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiyallahu anha, in tune with his postures, she would stretch her legs or she would withdraw them because of the space. But his standing was so long and his prostrations were so long that she would remain asleep throughout. So she would draw, withdraw her legs, fall asleep, and remain asleep. Then when she would sense that he moved, she would stretch her legs and fall back to sleep. 
So his standing, his qiyam, was so long she would remain asleep. His sujood was so long, his prostration was so long, she would remain asleep. And it wouldn't be so short or brief that her sleep was constantly disrupted. Never. This was his life at night. This was his ibadah. And during the day he would remember Allah with his recitation of the Holy Qur'an, with his du'as, his supplications, his remembrance. And much of his du'a was about shukr. In one du'a, part of the, it's a very long du'a, and part of the du'a is, رَبِّ جَعَلْنِي لَكَ شَكَّارًا Oh Allah, make me an excessively grateful person to you. Not just shakura or shakira, shakara. Oh Allah, may, oh my Lord, make me an excessive grateful person to you. That was his dua. Oh Allah, allow me, help me to be grateful to you, to be a grateful servant to you. He would be grateful, he would pray to Allah for further guidance to be grateful, even more. There are countless examples of his noble gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And just as he has taught his ummah to be grateful to Allah, the Creator. He has taught his ummah to be grateful to the creation. And he was the first to practice this. Prophet ﷺ would never forget any favors. He wouldn't. He would remember years later. The Prophet ﷺ was the most generous of mankind. As Imam Bukhari rahmatullahi relates from Abdullah ibn Abbas in that famous hadith about Ramadan. كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أجود الناس وكان أجود ما يكون في رمضان. That the Prophet وسلم, was the most generous. the kindest of all people. And the time when he would be the most generous would be in the month of Ramadan. And why would that be? Because Jibreel would meet with him every night, every day. And... They would both revise the Holy Qur'an. How? One would read the Qur'an to the other, the other would listen, and then the other would read, and the first one would listen. The Prophet ﷺ and Jibreel ﷺ. As a result of his meeting with Jibreel, Abdullah ibn Abbas explains in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ would be in his generosity, in his kindness, in his charity, as a result of meeting with Jibreel in gratitude, being inspired, and in pleasure, the Prophet in his generosity, in his kindness, in his charity, in spending, 
he would be like the free blowing wind. So there was no one more generous than the Prophet. And generosity demands that the generous person, the benefactor, gives without expecting any reward. Just as Allah says of his pious servants who are charitable in the Holy Quran, إِنَّمَا نُطْعِمُكُمْ لِوَجْهِ اللَّهِ لَا نُرِيدُ مِنْكُمْ جَزَاءٌ وَلَا شُكُورًا That indeed we only feed you, we only feed you for the countenance of Allah, for Allah's pleasure, for the sake of Allah. لَا نُرِيدُ مِنْكُمْ جَزَاءٌ وَلَا شُكُورًا we do not seek, we do not wish or desire any reward from you and not even gratitude. So the generous person never expects a reward or reciprocity or gratitude. That's generosity. So the Prophet was the most generous of all mankind, which meant that he would give to those who had never given a thing to him. He would give to those from whom he never expected anything. From whom he never expected anything. So when the Prophet ﷺ would give to such people, it was a habit of Rasulullah ﷺ. At times he would buy things from the Sahaba anhum. Sorry, he would sell things. Or he would buy things. And then he would gift the thing back. So he'd give the money and the item, as happened with Jabir ibn Abdullah. The Prophet was a kindest. He was a, what, what prevents a person from being kind? What prevents a person from being generous? What prevents a person from being charitable? Simple. The love of the world. The love of gold, the love of silver, the love of wealth. The fear of poverty. The fear of poverty drives a person to be stingy and miserly. As Allah says, الشَّيْطَانُ يَعِدُكُمُ الْفَقْرِ the devil threatens you with poverty. And this is in Surah Al-Baqarah in the context of charity. All of these verses are about charity. Charity. Spend in the way of Allah. And in that context, Allah says, الشيطان يعيدكم الفقر. The devil threatens you with poverty. It's the fear of poverty. And it's an irrational fear. Because a person has millions... But he fears losing those millions, that in his mind is poverty. A person has billions, and he fears losing billions, that in his mind is poverty. So it never makes a difference how much a person has. It's not just a poor person who fears poverty. The richest man in the world, Throughout history, now and in the future, has, is and will always 
does and will always fear losing it all. And it's that fear of losing what a person has that drives a person to worldly pursuits, to chasing wealth, and to hoarding, to amassing. And no one could be further from this than the holy messenger, sallallahu and this is why he said, as related by many authors, Prophet ﷺ would tell the Sahaba I do not wish that I have the equivalent of Mount Uhud. This was a mount. A mount. He said, I do not wish that I have the equivalent of Mount Uhud in gold, except that I do this. And then the Prophet ﷺ would motion with his arms in front, to the right, to the left, in all directions, meaning I do not wish that I even have the equivalent of Mount Uhud in gold. Unless that, okay, if I do have, then I would only want it for this reason, which is that this is what I do with it. Distribute it, disperse it, spread it, scatter it in the creation of Allah, giving to everyone in charity. So, when the Prophet ﷺ had no fear of losing wealth, when he didn't want wealth, In one narration, it's mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ was told that if you wish, we could convert the whole of Badha'u Makkah, the, the open plain of Makkah, for you, we could turn it into gold. Although, ulama have questioned the authenticity of this narration, but it's been mentioned. The Prophet ﷺ's reply was that no. I prefer not to have that, but rather to be hungry and therefore be patient. And then when I do eat, to praise you and to be grateful to you. Prophet ﷺ didn't want wealth. When he didn't want it, when he had no fear of losing it, Nothing prevented him from being generous. And he was the most generous of mankind. And that generosity meant that he gave to those who never gave him anything. He gave to those whom he owed nothing. Now I've gone into some detail regarding this because I want to say something about his gratitude to creation. If this is how generous he was, to those whom he owed nothing, whom he had to pay back nothing, to whom, to whom he had no reason to be grateful, then one can just imagine how grateful he was to those whom he did owe something, or to those who had done him a favour. Prophet ﷺ was extremely grateful. 
And this is what he taught us. He's taught us. He's taught us to praise those who do good to us. He's taught us to repay the kindness of those who are kind to us. He's taught us to be grateful to them with dua, with supplication, with praise. Even the dua, Jazakallahu khaira, as he says in a hadith, فَقَدْ أَبْلَغَ فِي Whoever has some good done to him, then he says to the benefactor, Jazakallahu khaira, فَقَدْ أَبْلَغَ فِي That may Allah reward you with good, or in a good way. Then, فَقَدْ أَبْلَغَ فِي Just that one simple dua, if someone utters that, and indeed, he has gone to extreme. He has gone to an extreme in his praise. So he has taught us that, and he practiced this himself. Allahu Akbar. Abdullah ibn Abi Rabi'ah al-Makhzumi radiyallahu an relates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa borrowed money of me. 30 or 40,000. The words of the hadith are 30 or 40,000. So, it wasn't long before he paid him back. And when the Prophet ﷺ paid him back without any delay, Prophet ﷺ said to him, Barakallahu laka fi ahlik wa fi malik. May Allah praise, bless you in your family and in your wealth. May Allah bless you in your family and in your wealth. And then he continued, Innama jaza'u salaf, al-wafa'u wal-hamd. That the only reward for a debt which is repaid, or the only reward for credits given, is fulfillment, first of all, and then praise for the person. Prophet ﷺ would make dua for everyone. The dua of Rasulullah ﷺ meant so much. That was treasure. The dua of Rasulullah ﷺ was treasure. Because a sincere dua is the distillation of a person's feelings in the heart for another. Curses are a distillation of a person's feelings in the heart towards another. When someone feels Anger, bitterness, hatred, resentment towards another, malice. Even before they do anything, if they ever do. And whether they can do anything or not. What does everyone do? What do humans do? They abuse the person, even in their absence. In fact, more in their absence. They abuse a person. They abuse and accuse and they curse them. They swear at them. They curse them. They wish ill for them. That's the... That's also a supplication. 
even if someone doesn't believe in Allah, even those who don't believe in Allah, they still say, I hope, I wish something happens to him. It's almost like without believing in anything, they are still reaching out some higher power, some fate, some destiny, some energy. Something or someone out there that will fulfill their wish, their ill wish and their ill desire for harm to befall on this person. Otherwise, if deep down they actually believe that there is no energy, there is no force, there is no power in the universe, there is no God, there is no creator, there is no divine being. These are just random atoms randomly colliding into each other and that's the world. And if anything happens, it's random. If good happens, it's random. If bad happens, it's random. So if it's random, why are you then wishing and praying and desiring that you wish, you hope, something bad happens to that person? So, a curse is a distillation of a person's feelings towards that person. And a sincere dua and supplication is also a distillation and a percolation of a person's feelings. It's a pure extraction of that person's feelings towards the other. If a person, this is why when a person sincerely prays for another, the angels say, the angels say, and may you have its like. And so, everyone sought the dua of Rasulullah sallallahu Because there was no one more pure-hearted than him. They wanted his dua, they wanted his supplication. And the Prophet sallallahu would always give dua. And his dua was such as he said to Abdullah ibn Abi Rabi'ah al-Makhzumi radiyallahu When he said, May, and this was on the return of credit he had given him. A loan. When he had returned the loan, he said, May Allah reward, bless you in your wealth, and bless you in your family. That was a sincere and pure dua. It truly was. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam would give dua, and this is what he has taught us. In one hadith, Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, related by many authors again, that when someone, that it's quite a long hadith, and part of it is, when someone gives you something, then reciprocate. Give him its like in return. And if you are unable to give him or do what, you, what he has done for you, then pray for him so much. Continue to pray for him until you feel and you think that you have repaid him. So we make dua in, in his absence or her absence. And this is what the Prophet ﷺ would do. The Prophet ﷺ's greatest gift was dua. The Sahaba sought his dua. Abdullah ibn Abbas, he relates that 
His auntie was Maymunah radiyallahu anha, the wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Umm al-Mu'mineen, Maymunah radiyallahu anha. That was his auntie. There were three sisters, Maymunah radiyallahu anha, Umm al-Fadl, the mother of Al-Fadl ibn Abbas and Abdullah. And the third sister, there were three sisters. So Maymunah radiyallahu anha, Umm al-Fadl, who was the mother of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma, and also the mother of Khalid ibn al-Walid radiyallahu anhu. These were all three, these were three sisters. So Abdullah ibn Abbas was also the cousin brother of Khalid ibn al-Walid radiyallahu anhu through his mother. So Maymunah radiyallahu anha being the maternal aunt or Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhu, he was very young, he was a child. So he sought permission from his auntie who sought permission from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for him to stay with them spend some time. So at night, the Prophet ﷺ saw the water for his wudu and ablution and his personal needs prepared and ready. So the Prophet ﷺ said, who put this here? So Maymunah his wife said, Abdullah, meaning Abdullah ibn Abbas. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's response Allahumma allimhu at-ta'wil wa faqihhu fid-deen O Allah teach him the meaning and the interpretation of the Quran O Allah give him the understanding of religion That was a beautiful dua of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam which made Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma despite his young age such a giant in scholarship in erudition, in learning. And he was known as the Mufassir, the exegete of the Holy Quran. How do, and in one narration, the Prophet ﷺ stroked his head and prayed for him, because he was a child. He stroked his head and he prayed for him. And what was the dua for? The dua for, was for the simple act of placing water for his wudu. And that changed his life. There's another Sahabi radiallahu anhu who used to bring water for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. In fact, more times than Abdullah ibn Abbas, because Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu was very young. He would only come occasionally and he stay, he would only come occasionally to the house of his aunt. But there was another Sahabi radiallahu anhu, Rabi'at ibn Ka'ab al-Islami. And he was one of the poor Sahaba radiyallahu anhum who was one of the Ahlus Sufa, the people of the veranda. So he says he would hover around the masjid, spend all his time there. So at night he would go and he would also, during the day as well, he would go and attend to the needs of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he specifically says, I would bring him his water for wudu. So, because he served the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said to himself, 
ask, meaning whatever you want. What do you want? So, and these were the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. He said, Ya Rasulullah, murafaqataka fil jannah. I seek your companionship in Jannah. That's what I want. He was poor. He wasn't married. He was poor. He had no money for marriage. He could barely provide for himself. He was one of the Ahlul Sufa. He lived outside the mischief. He survived on charity and donations. When the Prophet said to him, ask, he didn't ask for wealth. He said, O oh, oh, Messenger of Allah, مُرَافِقَتَكَ فِي الْجَنَّةِ I seek your companionship in Jannah. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, Anything else? So he said, No, Ya Rasulullah, this, your companionship in Jannah. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, فَأَعِنِّي عَلَى نَفْسِكَ بِكَثْرَةِ السُّجُودِ Then assist me. Assist me against yourself, or assist me in yourself with excessive prostrations. The meaning of the hadith is, yes, I will make dua for you, but along with my dua, you make sure that you excessively prostrate before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you worship Allah, you prostrate before Allah, you pray to Allah. Prophet Sallallahu reward was dua. And this same Rabi'at ibn Ka'b radiyallahu an, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal and others narrate a very long hadith about him that, I won't go into too much detail, but this was a reward of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This was his gratitude. This was his repayment. All he would do is bring water, occasionally. Bring water for wudu. Bring water for ablution. Bring water for his needs. Prophet ﷺ repaid him by calling him. Mate, what do you want? Ask. I asked you for your companionship in Jannah. Anything else? Just this, O Messenger of Allah. Prophet ﷺ gave him dua. Then, not only that, Prophet ﷺ was concerned for him. Called him once and said, Rabia, why don't you get married? Ya Rasulullah, I have no need to marry. I have nothing that I can provide to a wife. I'm unable to maintain or cater for a family. Prophet ﷺ left it. On another occasion, Rabi'ah, why don't you marry? O Messenger of Allah, I have no means to marry. I have no need, for I'm incapable of looking after or catering for maintaining a family. I cannot provide for a wife. Prophet ﷺ left it. On another occasion, O Rabi'ah, why don't you get married? O Messenger of Allah, I have no need, for I am unable to look after a family, to keep a wife, to maintain a wife. Then he said, O Messenger of Allah, but if you command me to, then I will obey. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Go to such and such a people and tell them that I have sent you and tell them that I say to you to get you married to such and such a person. A young girl. He went, Rabi'ah radiallahu anhu. He went. Allahu Akbar. 
These were the Sahaba radiyallahu Rabi'ah radiyallahu went to them and said, the Messenger of Allah has sent me. And he has delivered this message to you that you are to marry me to such and such a person of such and such a family. The clan actually said to him, Welcome, O Messenger of the Messenger of Allah. Greetings, O Messenger of the Messenger of Allah. Rabi'ah says, without asking me for any proof, they married me to the girl. Without asking me for any proof, they married me to the girl. I came back. I looked despondent. I looked sad. So the Prophet ﷺ, I told him what had happened. That they married me without asking me for proof. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, You've just got married, why are you looking sad? So he said, Ya Rasulullah, I don't even have any money for dowry. What do I do about the dowry? So the Prophet ﷺ told one Sahabi one of his attendants, Go and collect something. And give it to him as a dowry. They went and got dowry. Some wealth. They gave it to him. Prophet said, go and pay this dowry. He went and paid the dowry. <clears throat> Came back. He looked sad. Prophet said, why? He said, Ya Rasulullah, I've paid the dowry. But I have nothing to feed people for my walima. What do I do, O Messenger of Allah? Allahu Akbar. Prophet said to the attendant, go and ask Aisha that that basket which she has to give it to you. Now this basket was for the family of Rasulullah It had barley flour. He had a number of kilos of barley flour. It was for the family for long-term use. Just like we buy, or those of us that do, uh, 25 kilo bags of flour. So they had a basket, very large basket. This was for the family of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Prophet said, go and tell Aisha to give that basket. She gave the whole basket. Prophet said, this will take care of your khubz, your bread. And then he instructed some other sahaba, go and get him an animal, a small animal. He got the animal. They went, they cooked the meat, they cooked the bread. And they had the walima of bread and meat, all provided by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. His dowry. He arranged for his marriage. He arranged for his dowry. He arranged for his walima. He arranged for the bread, for the flour. He arranged for the meat. He arranged for everything. And all of this was in return for what? And he made dua for him, for his companionship in Jannah. All in return for what? Rabi'ah radiyallahu an would place water for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi That's all. That was his gratitude. These were his beautiful 
manners, his beautiful conduct and character. And not just to the Sahaba عنهم, was he grateful, he was grateful to his enemies. He was grateful to his enemies. If they did good, he would repay them good. He was grateful to those who weren't even his followers. He was grateful even to non-Muslims. To anyone who had done good. He was grateful to Muslim and non-Muslim alike. That story famously, that famous story of Mut'im ibn Adi, Mut'im ibn Adi, he wasn't a Muslim, but Mut'im ibn Adi, Mut'im ibn Adi was very old, extremely old. Because he was in fact one of the He was a cousin of the father of the Prophet Not a first cousin, but second cousin. So, he was from the clan of Nawfal, Banu Nawfal. Just as the Prophet was a son of Abdullah, Abdullah's father was Abdul Muttalib. Abdul Muttalib's father was Hashim. Hashim's brother was Nawfal. Nawfal's son was Adi. And Adi's son was Mut'im. So Mut'im's father and Abdullah's father, Abdul Muttalib, Abdul Muttalib and Adi were first cousins. Their fathers were brothers. And Abdullah, the father of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and Mut'im himself were second cousins. So he was the second cousin of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam once removed from the clan of Nawfal, Banu Nawfal. And he was very old. When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the Fifth year, sorry, in the fiftieth year of his life, after the passing away of Umm Muminin Khadija radiyallahu anha and his uncle uh, Abu Talib, Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam travelled to Mecca, to Taif to seek their protection because his own uncle Abu Lahab, being the leader of the Banu Hashim clan, had renounced his protection and the rest of the members of the clan were unable to stand up to Abu Lahab. So he actually revoked the protection of the clan. The Prophet went to Ta'if. They refused to grant him protection. So he then returned to Mecca. But he camped at a distance from Mecca, near Hira, near the cave of Hira. And he sent word to Mecca, to different clans, that who will give me protection? People refused. When his own uncle, Abu Lahab, refused, others refused. But 
Mut'im ibn Adi stepped up. And he sent word to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that come to the gates of Mecca, meaning come to the city. I will give you protection. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came. Mut'im ibn Adi. He was almost 90 or actually in his 90s when this happened. That's how old he was. And he had many children. So he came armed to Al-Masjid Al-Haram in front of the rest of the Quraysh. And he brought his children all armed. His sons. And they called the Prophet ﷺ. He sent some of them and they brought him. And then under his protection and watch, whilst they all stood guard, armed, in Al-Masjid Al-Haram, in front of the rest of the Quraysh, Prophet ﷺ performed tawaf, and Mut'im ibn Adi announced to the Quraysh that I grant my protection to Muhammad ibn Abdullah. Mut'im ibn Adi passed away. And he actually passed away in this a few months, sometime before the Battle of Badr itself, in the second year of Hijrah. Not too long before the Battle of Badr. So he passed away in the second year of Hijrah. The Battle of Badr took place in the second year of Hijrah. When the Muslims captured 70 of the Quraysh, they were all treated very well. And this was a custom of the Arabs that captives would be taken. It was then, they weren't herded into concentration camps or prison camps. They were regarded as prisoners of war, captives, something which has happened throughout history. But they were never abused. And the Prophet Wasallam's practice was, in, Bat, in Badr, that they were captured, what to do with them. So he set a nominal ransom. Anyone who paid the ransom, anyone's family paid the ransom, they were free. If they never had the ransom, then they were offered to teach. Teach the people of Medina. If they could read and write and provide education, if they could say, we will give education, their teaching was ransom in itself. They were freed and just told, fine, teach the people of Medina. And those who had no money, no ransom, they couldn't provide any service, no teaching, no education. What happened with them? Prophet ﷺ told the families to take them into their care and custody, but he instructed them to be kind to them, to be generous, to look after them, to protect them. The Sahaba acted on these instructions to such an extent that they fed their prisoners or captives or however you want to name them, their custodians, they fed their custodians and clothed them better than they fed and clothed themselves. As a result of which, they actually embraced Islam. So before, immediately after the Battle of Badr, when discussions were taking place about the captives, the Prophet ﷺ pointing to them said, if Mut'im ibn Adi was alive, Imam Bukhari and others all relate this hadith. If Mut'im ibn Adi was alive 
And he spoke to me about these prisoners. I would have freed all of them for him. Ingratitude. He didn't use the words ingratitude. I'm saying, why, why was this? Ingratitude. For the good that Mut'im ibn Adi showed the Prophet years before, for the kindness that he showed, the Prophet was willing to forgive and free all of his enemies for the single intercession of Mut'im ibn Adi, who wasn't even a Muslim, because the Prophet was grateful. As I said, he was grateful even to his enemies. Mut'im ibn Adi wasn't his enemy, but he wasn't a Muslim. He was grateful even to his enemies. One of his enemies was Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, the leader of the hypocrites. He hurt the Prophet so much. He abused the Prophet. He scoffed at the Prophet. When the Prophet once approached him riding on a donkey, the donkey kicked up some dust. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul was seated with his henchmen and his cronies, and he covered his face and his nose, and with great disgust and contempt, he said, the stench of your donkey, O Muhammad, offends me. One of the Sahaba, who was with the Prophet وسلم, said to him, by Allah, even the donkey of the Messenger of Allah is more fragrant than you and purer than you. And uh, there was a commotion. The Prophet ﷺ calmed everybody. And on that same occasion, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, this was in the early years of uh, his life in Medina. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul said to him, Oh Muhammad, when he, because he preached to him, he said, Oh Muhammad, if we want to hear what you have to say, we will come to you. There is no need for you to come and preach to us. He was very rude when it suited him. He heard the Prophet ﷺ in his family. The Prophet ﷺ stood up in the masjid and with great emotion, he pleaded with the Sahaba عنهم, saying, who will excuse me? Who will relieve me? Because this man has hurt me even in my family. He slandered the family of Rasulullah He left no stone over to, uh, unturned in his attempts to hurt the Prophet وسلم, his family, the Muslims. He incited others against them. He created splits and divisions. He schemed and plotted with the enemies in the city, outside the city. He spared no trick, he left no stone unturned. And yet, despite all of this, in the Battle of Badr, one of the captives that was taken was an uncle of the Prophet al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib. And he was a tall man. And when he was captured because of the, in the aftermath of the Battle of Badr, he had no upper garment. 
So they were looking for a cloak or an upper garment for him. They couldn't find one to fit him. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul was tall and built, just like Al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib. Just as Allah says in the Quran, وَإِذَا رَأَيْتُهُمْ تُعْجِبُكَ أَتْسَامُهُمْ That when you see their bodies, they impress you. One of the references is to Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul. He was tall, handsome, well-built, imposing of structure. So Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul gave his shirt and his long cloak to Al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, the uncle of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, right towards the end of his noble life, when Abdullah, when the Prophet's noble life, when Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul passed away, his son, who was a sincere believer and who was also called Abdullah, he came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and informed him of his father's passing. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam removed his own shirt and gave it to his son Abdullah and said to him, enshroud your father in this. And the ulama and even the narrators of the hadith mention that this was in gratitude and in reciprocity of the of his giving his shirt to the Prophet's uncle, Al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib. Prophet repaid him even in debt, even in death. Allahu Akbar. And in his compassion, he went and stood on his grave, seeking Allah's forgiveness for him and praying. That was a gratitude of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, just some part of his gratitude to his creation. So he was grateful to Allah, he was grateful to his creation, and as Allah says, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْبَةٌ حَسَنَةٌ لِمَنْ كَانَ يَرْجُ اللَّهُ وَالْيَوْمَ الْآخِرُ وَذَكَرَ اللَّهُ كَثِيرًا Indeed, there is surely for you, in the Messenger of Allah, a beautiful example, a beautiful precedent for those of you who fear Allah in the final day, and who remember Allah often. So for us Muslims, we have an example, a beautiful example, a beautiful precedent in Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, even in the single teaching of gratitude, how to be grateful to Allah through dhikr and through beautiful ibadah, and how to be grateful, appreciative and acknowledging to the creation of Allah irrespective of their background or even their religion. And to repay kindness with kindness, good with good. Just as Imam Bukhari and others relate to the Prophet ﷺ, that the Sahaba عنهم, some of the Sahaba عنهم, had read the description of the Prophet ﷺ in the earlier scriptures. <coughs> This is a reference to the verse of the Holy Quran, الذين يتبعون الرسول النبي الأمي الذي يجدونه مكتوبا عندهم في التوراة والإنجيل. Speaking of the Sahaba رضي الله عنهم, Allah says, those who follow the Prophet, the Messenger, the Unlettered One, the one whom they find mentioned by them. 
in the Torah, in the, in the Torah and in the Injil. So some of the Sahaba عنهم, had seen evidence of this description of the Prophet وسلم, in the earlier scriptures. And part of that description was, as Imam Bukhari relates from some of the Sahaba عنهم, وَلَا يَدْفَعُ السَّيِّئَةَ بِالسَّيِّئَةَ وَلَكِنْ يَعْفُوا وَيَسْفَحْ That he, the Messenger of Allah, does not repel ill with ill. Does not repay ill with ill. Rather, he excuses, overlooks and forgives. That was his character. So the Prophet ﷺ, when he would never pay ill with ill, why would he fail to pay good with good? <clears throat> so as Allah says in the Quran, The reward of good is naught but good. And the Prophet showed us that. Even to the creation of Allah, he repaid kindness with kindness, good with good. He reciprocated people's gifts and behaviors and <clears throat> good behaviors, and their generosity, and their kindness, and their love. Prophet ﷺ reciprocated it and returned all of it, and more. And this is why, and I'll end with this, Imam Tirmidhi rahmatullahi relates a beautiful hadith, that towards the end of his life, the Prophet ﷺ stood up, and he said, Indeed, I have repaid everyone, any good that they have done to me. I have repaid everyone anything that I owe them, with the exception of Abu Bakr. For Allah shall repay him, i.e. on the day of reckoning. And if I was to take a dear friend, then I would take Abu Bakr as a dear friend. But your companion, meaning the Prophet wasallam, is a dear friend of Allah. So what uh, I mentioned this particular narration, otherwise this narration is to be found everywhere, but in the wording of Dirmidhi, it's clearly mentioned where he says that I have repaid everyone's gift and favour to me, except for Abu Bakr. So the Prophet wasallam, repaid everyone. Why didn't he repay Abu Bakr? He did. But he went on to explain that there was no one kinder and more generous than Abu Bakr In his wealth, in his family, he did everything for the Prophet He gave him his daughter, he sacrificed everything. So he was one person the Prophet felt that Allah should reward him fully. But the Prophet repaid everyone. And he has left that beautiful example for us. May Allah enable us to follow in his noble footsteps. Be grateful to Allah as we should. And also be appreciative, acknowledging. And grateful to his creation too. Wa sallallahu wa sallam ala abdihi wa rasooli nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa ant. Astaghfiruk wa atubu ilayhi.